Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass them from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, so when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. You may be seated. God is good. And all the time. I want to welcome everybody that's visiting with us. I know I've met a lot of new people and Uh, see a lot of familiar faces as well. Before we dive right in, though, I do want to make you aware of something that I learned as services were starting. Uh, Our sister Peggy Shoemaker's son, Marty, passed away last night. Um, She is not here this morning, uh, but I would like to take just a brief moment and say a prayer for her. So would you please bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we're very grateful for resurrection, and we're very grateful that Christ has conquered death. We pray, Father, for Peggy, for her family, and all the loved ones who are now in mourning at Marty's passing. We pray, Father, that you'll give them a peace that surpasses all understanding, that you'll comfort them in the days ahead, and that you'll be with them to bless them. Father, for all those who have lost loved ones that are mournful, we pray that if it's recent or if it's been months or even years, that you'll comfort them as well, too. Sometimes, Father, people leave our lives and a void exists that nothing can fill. But I pray that the hope of the resurrection will do just that. Remind us, Father, that death doesn't have the final say. And for that, we give you thanks. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. What do you think about whenever you hear the word Easter? I think everybody has probably some memory from childhood. Uh, when I was a kid, we used to, it was me and mom and mama. That's, that's what we called my grandmother, mama. I don't know if y'all got a mama or a mima or whatever. But anyway, we would have all the cousins, the, aunt and, the aunts and the uncles come over and mama would make a spread. She was the type of woman that she took a big old scoop of lard and stuck it in the pan. And that was just the first stage to uh, beginning cooking a meal. It's probably why I had to have my gallbladder removed when I was in my early 20s, but you don't care. But anyway, Mama would make a big feast, and everybody would come over and we'd eat, and the older cousins would hide the eggs, and then the younger cousins, we'd get to go out and hunt the eggs. Had a great time, great time. Well, then Mom met and married Daddy, my stepfather, and it was, it was a little bit different. Uh, we'd still try and get together with Mama and hunt the eggs and whatnot. 
Um, but then when I started dating Stephanie, she was Catholic at the time, so we'd go, I would go with her to Mass. Uh, and it was a big to-do when you went to Mass on, on an Easter Sunday. Well, and when you think about it, you keep on going and, you know, pastel colors. Look around all the pastel colors. Y'all not going to wear pastel most any other day of the year, but you got them on today. Keep what they look so nice. Wear them next Sunday too. Okay, so pastel colors one thing. Then you've got your Easter basket, right? And the, the Easter egg hunts and all that. Uh, but, but really, what is the significance of this day on our calendars that says Easter? Now, sadly, the word really isn't in the Bible, though the King James put it in, uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 4. Uh, when he apprehended him, he put him to, in prison and delivered him to four, let's say, squads of soldiers to keep him, uh, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. The word that's actually there in the Greek language is Pascha or Passover, uh, which is what was read from the New King James. So really the word Easter never appears in the Scriptures at all. Uh, it's, it's something that came a little bit later, well, several centuries later. Now if you like history, this will be fascinating to you. If not, pinch yourself, take a sip of your coffee, and hang in there and we'll get beyond the historical part. But the way this all came to be is in 595, Pope Gregory, he sent 40 monks to convert pagans in England. And he gave them some instructions. He said, now when you go and convert them, they're going to have their own traditions, their own celebrations. Uh, if you got to keep the names of some of those, but infuse them with Christian belief, do that. And, and so they go and actually the monks get there and the pagans just terrified them. So they turned and they came back and the Pope said, go back and finish the job. So they go back and they finish the job. Well, a couple centuries later, there is a, a fellow by the name of Bede. Uh, they call him the Venerable Bede, and in 725, he wrote the following. He said, Easter Monath, which means the month of Easter, has a name which is now translated Paschal Month, and which was once called after the goddess of theirs named Easter, and whose honor feasts were celebrated in that month. Now they designate that, pas that Paschal season by her name, calling the joys of the new rite by the time-honored name of the old observance." There you go. Now you know. The more you know. Uh, that's where the name came from. But Passover is actually something that is all throughout the Scriptures. Now, just for another point of historical tickle-your-brain factoids, uh, the earliest explicit reference to Easter egg bunny... Uh, no, Easter bunny egg hunting or whatever comes from a German text in 1572. It says, do not worry if the Easter bunny escapes you. Should we miss his eggs, we will go to the nest. We will gook the nest. Uh, mm. I think autocorrect probably got the better of me there because I would never make that mistake. Okay, so uh, if you look on your calendars, Thursday at sundown began what the Jews celebrate as Passover. And on your Friday of your calendar, you probably have Passover on that. Now that's a holiday that's been around for centuries, probably since the, uh, uh, the 1400s BC uh, is when the Passover occurred. That's when uh, the Israelites were all in Egypt as slaves 
And then God miraculously leads them out of the land of slavery so that they can be free. And so there was a special meal that they shared every year after that time to remind them of where they came from and also where they're going. And so it was at that particular meal that we often refer to as the Last Supper that uh, Jesus and his disciples were seated. They were eating their Passover meal. And Jesus takes two of the emblems of that meal, the bread and the wine, and he gives them new meanings. And the earliest account in Scripture of this as to what it means for the Christians uh, appears in 1 Corinthians 11. And usually when we partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday, uh, well, not every Sunday does someone mention this passage, but frequently we have heard this passage read. But Paul says, I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So every Sunday, these two tables on each side of the stage, and I believe they have it engraved on the front, do this in remembrance of me. That was the, 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 the meal that Jesus took, and he gave new significance to a couple of those emblems. And if, if you read 1 Corinthians, the whole letter, chapters 11 through the end of the book is one context. And it's probably the earliest account of a Christian worship service that we have. But the thing is, Paul doesn't write to say, here's how you worship, here's what you do, what you do. He's actually writing because he's having to correct a lot of the abuses of what was occurring in worship. Now, I know some people are of the opinion, they say, well, we shouldn't take it every week because if we do that, it'll lose its significance. I'm just glad you don't say that about preaching, right? A preacher preaches, what, once a month, a quarter or a year or whatever. No, nobody says that about the preaching. Nobody says that about the, the, the offering, right? We, we don't say that about the offering. We don't say that about praying or singing or anything else. So here's what I usually like to reply to people. You and I cannot give that supper any more significance than what God has already given it. Nor can you or I remove significance from it because God has given it its meaning. This is the body and the blood of the Lord as represented in the loaf and the fruit of the vine. And as often as we partake it, we do so in remembrance of him. But when you read through this letter of 1 Corinthians, you get to chapter 16 and it's one continual context. And Paul identifies that everything from chapter 11 up to this point occurs on the first day of the week. And the last thing he mentions is laying something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So the first thing he mentioned that they did every first day of the week was the Lord's Supper, because that's how important that was. And then he goes on in the next chapter, chapter 12, to talk about the unity of the Christians. Though you have many different people and everybody has different gifts, we're all one body. And that's something I think the church often needs to be reminded of. If you're not a preacher, it doesn't mean that you're any less important than anyone else. Or if you don't have a title. Or, you know, we, we have various parts of the body, as Paul points out in chapter 12. 
And every one of them has their function. There isn't one that is unimportant. And so if you have certain gifts that may not be like other gifts, those are yours. It doesn't mean you're more important or you're less important. Well, then he goes to chapter 13 and 14, and he's addressing various abuses of the spiritual gifts that they had. And one of the things that he points out as you read through that, he mentions their prayers, he mentions their singing, he mentions also the prophets who gave a word from the Lord. So, I mean, you got the Lord's Supper, you got prayers, you got preaching, you got singing, and then the collection. And even to this day in 2022, we still do those things in our worship services that they did in the first century. So about this supper, there's always the, well, there's always the, 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 the risk, not that it loses its significance, but that we become too habitual about it, that we don't give it its proper thought. And Paul, in that same passage, he urged the Christians to take stock of themselves. He says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And for this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. So it's our jobs and responsibilities upon taking the Lord's Supper to stop, to pause, to pray, repent, ask for forgiveness, and then take. Obviously, hopefully, when we walk through the doors, we've already prepared our hearts and our minds to do so. But sometimes we have to do so sitting right here, which is fine too. Okay. So on that night, Jesus had his last supper with his disciples. And I want you to think about that last day of his life before his new life on earth. What's always surprised me is Jesus knew that this is the day that he would die on. Now, if you had one day left to live, what would you do? Uh, that was a question in a Sunday school class asked some time ago. And so different people had different answers. One guy said, I, I'm just going to sell everything that I have and I'm going to go live on an island, just enjoy nature and the beauty and so forth. Okay. Uh, another person said, well, I'd sell everything that I have too, but I'd give everything that I have, the proceeds to, to poor people, to those that are needy. And everybody goes, oh, that, that's great. And then they keep going around and they keep given different answers, you know, and some people you can tell they're trying to one-up the previous person. And they get to one guy and he said, I'd go spend it with my mother-in-law. You know, and they, well, why would you do that? He said, it'd be the longest day of my life. <laughs> but Jesus, on his last day, he washed feet. He knew it was his last day and he washed feet, those of his disciples. Another way to say that is he chose to serve. That always just really sticks with you. So since we know that Jesus was crucified at the time of the Passover, we know also when he was raised. 
And today may very well be the anniversary of the actual resurrection of Jesus, but sometimes the day is overshadowed by various other things. So what I would wish to do, above all else, is to put us in, rem- in remembrance of the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In that same letter, Paul says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. What is the significance of the resurrection? It's hope. The resurrection gives us hope. Hope that death doesn't have the final say. Hope that that isn't the end and that it doesn't have to always be that way. A friend of mine whose son died years ago and his son was four, five maybe, uh, every, every year he says, this time of the year, he says, unless you have wept beside a grave, you'll never appreciate just how special the resurrection is. And his little boy, Daniel, he, he always remembers Daniel on Easter Sunday, and he remembers it, his son rather, because he knows that there's the hope of resurrection. And as, as mournful as he is on this life, in this life, he knows that he'll see his son again one day. That's the importance of the resurrection. Not only does it give us hope, but entwined in that hope is forgiveness of sins. Now, there's not a perfect person in here, nor not in here. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has done wrong. Every one of us has needed or needs forgiveness at one point in time or another. And if you are married, you understand this more so than any. Because often those of us that are married need to ask forgiveness from our spouses for one thing or another. So nobody is perfect. And the consequences of those imperfections is death. But Jesus rose from the dead. And He rose from the dead to give us hope. And I always love this. A great way to put it is to say, by death, He puts death to death. When you think about it. So, we have no commandment nor any example in Scripture to exalt one particular Sunday above another or to celebrate it in some special way. But since many people, if only for this day of the year, think about Jesus and think about the resurrection, I say let's capture the moment as best we can. Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, I know some people, you know, you might go, resurrection, that just, I, I, we never see that. I, it's hard to believe. Maybe He passed out, right? There, there are all these arguments against why the, resurrection, uh, the death and the resurrection actually occurred. And, and people make various, well, you know, maybe His disciples only thought that they saw Jesus risen from the grave. Uh, you know, so you've got all these arguments. And my favorite argument as to why to believe in the resurrection has to do with this time of the year. You see, in the fall and the winter, all the pretty flowers and everything, they, they kind of die. 
But this time of the year, they're coming back to life. They are being resurrected. Uh, anybody that walks outside... Now, if you're not from here, you might think that all of us drive either a yellow or a green car. That's called pollen. That's why all our cars look that way. Uh, but with that pollen, with the, the resurrection of, and, and, and the blooming of flowers, we, we, what are they called? The March flowers, the yellow ones? They're so pretty. Uh, but I always love to see them. Every March, it, there they are. And the old saying, April showers bring May flowers and things like that. So we're seeing resurrection in nature right now. And because it happens every single year, I don't think it's that far-fetched that a man, by the power of God, could be raised from the dead. So if you would like to look at a passage with me, uh, I encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 8. This is a very familiar passage to many of us, uh, it is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And I'm going to leave you with this. Acts chapter 8, verses 35 through 38. I like hearing pages turn. Uh, even if you're just bluffing me, I really appreciate it. That's a beautiful sound. Acts chapter 8, verse 35. If I'd have been thinking, I'd have put it up on the screen. But I, w I want you to look in your Bibles and see this. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, let me pause you for a second. Alan read a passage a little bit ago when he presided over the Lord's Supper. And a part of the passage that he read was the same passage that the Ethiopian eunuch or nobleman was reading. And it's from the prophet Isaiah. It's from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. Isaiah was written in like the 700s BC and the fulfillment of that would come 700 plus years later. Now, you can't convince me by any stretch of the imagination that Scripture is not inspired because how could a man with the accuracy that Isaiah wrote with write about the things that Christ would suffer? Well... So the eunuch was reading that and Philip caught up with him and, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Is the man speaking of himself or someone else? And so Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Now look at what's next. As they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Full stop. Okay. So from the prophet Isaiah, Philip is explaining Jesus to this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch. And whatever he said, though it's not detailed in Scripture, whatever he said led the eunuch, when he saw water, he says, well, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? So the preaching of Jesus includes the preaching not only of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it also includes the call for you and I to have faith in Jesus and to be baptized. Now, that, that's one of those churchy words. What does that mean to be baptized? The, the word baptism just means to be dipped or plunged. Uh, it was a word often used in the first century with reference to, to garment dyers. 
D-Y-E-R-S. So you take the hide and, and you've got these vats of dye and you would literally, you'd baptize the garment in that vat. So it went in a natural state, but when it came out, maybe it was scarlet or maybe it, it, it was purple or some other color. Well, th th that's how the word was often used. So the explanation, the preaching of Jesus led this eunuch to say, well, here's water, what, what hinders me? And he says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And so he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still and both Philip and the eunuch went down in the water and he baptized him. So there it is. If you believe, you may be baptized. And if you will confess what the eunuch confessed, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then are baptized. Scripture says that your sins are washed away. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, and Acts 22, verse uh, 16, I believe. See, in baptism, we reenact what Jesus did on that Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. As we're standing in the water being taken down, we are dying just as Jesus died on the cross. While under that water, we are, as Jesus was in the tomb, buried. But then when we're brought back up from the water like Jesus, we are raised. Our sins are washed away. The old person has been put to death. We are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, you, you look in the mirror, you go, I look the same, I feel the same, the joints still ache. It's something that happens beyond the physical. It's something that occurs in the spiritual. It's where God takes all the sins and He wipes the slate clean. And why? Because we have faith because we're not afraid to confess, and because we are buried with the Lord in baptism. Now, I want to extend the offer to you if you've never done that to do so. And maybe you don't want, you know, like, ah, boy, crowds scare me. That's okay. Catch, catch me afterwards, and we can let the crowd thin out. After all, it was just the eunuch and Philip. They didn't need a crowd. He didn't say, let's wait till we got a crowd at church. No, right then and there. So if you've not done that, I want you to consider doing that. But I also want to say that while it's good you're here, I want you to know more than anything else that Jesus loves you, that God loves you. And I want to encourage you to make him a part of your life every day, if he isn't already. But I also want to encourage you to reflect upon this sacrifice, to reflect upon the resurrection and its important meaning. And I hope that that changes you in some way as you leave today. But if you wish to respond to the Lord publicly this morning, we give you an opportunity to do so. All you have to do, if that's your desire, is just come to the front. There's gonna be an elder over there, an elder over there, I'll be somewhere and we'll be glad to minister to you at that time. And you can do that right now as we stand together and sing.